So there's a, an LA virus. Who has heard of the LA virus? The LA virus is. The LA virus is. What's in it for me? Some people they buzz around. I don't, I don't know what the whole world. I, I know that, that sometimes we find it in our city. People, you know, they hang around with you and they, because they want to know what can they get out of you. So it seems that altruism, altruism means to act with general, genuine concern for other people and to help other people sincerely is something which uh, isn't, uh, isn't as common as, as, it may, as it should be. Although the Torah tells us, love your fellow like yourself, just like we strive for ourselves to have all kinds of good things. So the Torah tells us you have to love your fellow like yourself and and to um, and do the same for others. The question is, is altruism really possible? Is it really possible to genuinely and sincerely to do things for the sake of other people and to not think about yourself, to really, because you care about the other person, do things for them really and sincerely? Or is it always traced back to some kind of selfish motive? I'm going to do this for you because I know that God will be good to me if I'm going to be good to you. Uh, I know that if I keep Shabbos and I keep kosher, so then Hashem will be good to me. I'm doing this not because, because I really feel that I need to serve Hashem and I have obligation to serve Hashem, but rather because, uh, or I want to connect to Hashem, I love Hashem. It, it, it's possible that I'm, all the things I'm doing are are because of some selfish motive. Or a lot of people which are religious or thinking about becoming religious, they say, well, I don't know if I want to do this because right now I'm doing things for, for myself, and if I do all those other things, it's also going to be about me. It's not going to really be for the sake of Hashem. It's going to be because I want to get something as a result. So maybe it's not worth to make a great effort to keep all these extra mitzvahs that I'm thinking of doing or to go another step further in my Yiddish guide because... It's probably not even real. And, uh, and the question is, is it really possible to really be altruistic and to really do things for, for the, for genuinely and, and really and truly? It seems like from this week's Torah portion that it's not possible. What does this Torah portion start off with? It starts off with a very strong statement. It says, if you'll keep my mitzvahs, Hashem says, I'm going to give you rain and I'll give you all other blessings, this blessing, that blessing... Hashem can list a whole bunch of blessings as if you do my mitzvahs, you'll have all this great stuff. So it sounds like that what motivated our patriarchs and Moshe Rabbeinu himself and why they're promoting Yiddishkeit, what's good about Yiddishkeit, you'll get rain. But shouldn't we keep Torah whether we get rain or not? Shouldn't we do the mitzvahs whether we, irrespective of whether the rain comes, like Antinknes famously taught in the ethics of our fathers, Perkyavis, don't be like servants who serve their master to get a reward. Be like servants who serve their master without thinking of getting a reward. So the question is, why does the Torah present it as if this is what you'll get if you do this? When it seems like the, a higher way of doing it is not thinking about what you'll get. So another question about this week's Torah portion is that it doesn't list any spiritual benefit of, of keeping mitzvahs. It says if you'll do all these mitzvahs, You'll get rain. You'll get plenty of abundance in your fields. You'll have lots of blessings here and there and everywhere. But doesn't mention, even doesn't even hint in this whole list of blessings and consequences. There's no even mention of Ganeidin. Doesn't say anything about getting the world to come. 
And you think, you know, we, we believe, we're children of believers, we believe in Gan Eden, we know that Gan Eden is, is real, so how come the Torah doesn't mention anything about the everlasting reward? I mean, the rain is a great thing, but, you know, rain, rain, rain is not forever. Uh, the produce, the abundance in the fields is not forever. Why doesn't the Torah also talk about Gan Eden, the world, to, the world to come, everlasting spiritual bliss? Doesn't, doesn't, even, doesn't even hint to it. There are, there are actually those heretics who try to bring a source from this week's Torah portion to prove there is no God in Chasashel. There is no such thing, because if there was, the Torah would have mentioned it. So why doesn't the Torah mention it? So, so we have now Barbanel. Barbanel gives seven explanations, and two of them are like this. The first explanation of Barbanel, based upon the Rambam, is that the Torah isn't really listing a reward over here. The Torah is just telling us a fact. If you try to keep the mitzvahs of Hashem, Hashem will make it possible for you. Hashem will not make it hard for you. If you try to keep the mitzvahs, Hashem will remove obstacles from doing mitzvahs. So it's not that if you keep these mitzvahs, Hashem will reward you. It's more like keep the mitzvahs and all the obstacles from keeping mitzvahs will be taken away. So, so the Torah doesn't discuss your reward, really. If the Torah would discuss your reward according to the Barbanel, yes, it would definitely talk about Ganadin. But it's not talking about reward. It's just saying... Hashem will make it possible for you. If you try to keep Hashem's words, Hashem will remove obstacles from you. But it's not actually discussing reward. That's one explanation. Then there's another explanation of Barbanel. Uh, Barbanel says that the Torah is talking to the masses. The masses. Most people aren't inter- interested in the spiritual stuff. Most people want to know what's, what, what the benefit they'll have in this world is. And therefore the Torah doesn't talk about spiritual rewards because the Torah wants to make a much farther wider appeal that will reach everyone's everyone and therefore the Torah discusses a physical uh, benefit you'll have in this world by keeping Torah. If you keep the Torah you have more blessing, you have more good things will happen to you. In this world in a physical, tangible, real way the Torah wants to talk to us in a way that, that touches us. The arts are dikim, they'll care more about spiritual things, that's true but the Barbanel says the Torah doesn't discuss because the Torah wants to talk here in the Torah about something that's more relevant to most people. There's a famous story of the Baal Shem Tev. Baal Shem Tev uh, often tried to travel to Israel. Some say the reason Baal Shem Tev wanted to go to Israel was because he wanted to meet the Or HaChaim HaKadosh, Ben Matar. They say if the Baal Shem Tev would have met Or HaChaim, Mashiach would have come. Yeah. But, but he, he never made it to Israel, but he made it to Turkey. He, he, he tried several times to travel to Israel. One... Uh, uh, Pesach, right before Pesach, he is stuck with his daughter Adl uh, in Istanbul, and they're, they have nothing, they have no provisions for Pesach, and the Moshemtiv goes to Davin, and, and they're stuck there, and what should they do? And all of a sudden, these people show up at the door of, the, of, of, of where they were staying, and Adl opens the door for them, and she says, they ask to stay with her, and, and they, she says, we have nothing for you to, to eat, uh, we have no food, it's okay, we're businessmen, we travel with all of our provisions, we're good, and long story short, they brought all the needs of the Seder to the Baal Shem Tev and, and to Adol. So, Baal Shem Tev was very excited about this, very appreciative, and the Baal Shem Tev asked if he could possibly give them a blessing or pray for them anything that they need. So, Yankel says, one of the businessmen who, was, who brought these provisions to the Baal Shem Tev, he says, yeah, we, uh, my wife and I are married for many years, we don't have any children, can you please bless us with children? Baal Shem Tev said, I swear to you that you'll have a child. Oh, wow. So the way 
the story is told is that this caused an uproar in Shemayim. Why is it caused an uproar? Because it wasn't really a, as part of the uh, divine plan that this couple should have children. However, it says in the Talmud, uh, when a tzaddik decrees, Hashem fulfills. Or even more, Hashem makes a decree and the tzaddik can annul the decree of Hashem. So Hashem, so to speak, promised in his Torah that he'll follow the words of a tzaddik and therefore Hashem uh, was bound, so to speak, by the Balshanda's oath. On the other hand, because he did something out of the uh, uh, rules, so the, the, the divine response was that the Balshanda was going to lose his share in the world to come. So, when Baal Shemta found out he was losing his share in the world to come, he was so elated, he was so excited. Wow! I'm able to do mitzvahs without any reward. No, no other rewards would be fantastic. This is great. No, no thought of reward. So that's, 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 that's the, the Baal Shemta. And uh, so, so the Ebenezer says the reason Torah discusses reward and the reason why he discusses physical reward is because most people aren't like the Baal Shemta. Most people like reward. And most people like physical reward. And therefore, the Torah talks about the physical reward. That's that's. Uh, but how do rewards even work? How does how does physical how do the physical rewards the Torah gives us work? There's two ways of understanding it. One way of understanding it is like good health, um, a diet, a good diet, being good health. Um, another way of understanding it is uh, like, a, like a parent's giving a reward to a child. In other words, one way of looking at Hashem's rewards to us, you could think of it as this that. Just like you reward your children when they're good, when they do good things, so you give them you give them extra rewards, you give them extra candy, or you give them extra whatever your rewards are for your children. Um, so it's a super rational thing. It's not it's supernatural. It's not it's not it's not part of the fabric of what they've done. Something else has happened that you've 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 uh, made some heroic intervention to their lives, and you brought some some treat there or whatever it is that they consider a treat. And you've and you've altered their, their the map of their their uh, uh, what they what, what they could expect in their lives because you've brought something in. They looked two ways before they crossed the street, and you gave them a candy. So so the candy is not a natural result of what they've done. That's something you brought in. So too, it's possible to think about the Hashem's rewards in a similar way. The Hashem just gives us rewards out of nowhere. Another way of looking at it is is that the rewards Hashem give us Hashem gives us as part of the fabric of creation that Hashem made the world in a way that a mitzvah. Since the mitzvah is a goal of creation, the mitzvah is sort of like they, they, they had this um, uh, investigation about these um, slot machines in Las Vegas. That they found that this 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 guy was winning all the slot machines, and they, they was they couldn't figure out what what, what what was going on. But there was a un- disproportionate amount of winnings in the slot machines. So what happened was was that there was a guy who actually was part of the de- designing the slot machine, and he would go into the various casinos and he would he had a, a trapdoor method he made in the in, in the slot machine so that if you did if you pull this button you put and you press this thing at this time and put in this coin so then you would win automatically so he would do most of the code himself you go out in the parking lot and you would tell someone else to go in and do the end of the code so you shouldn't get caught and eventually the uh, FBI caught him and uh, he was arrested so he built a slot machine with a trapdoor so 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 to some Jewish Philosophers, and it seems like says this is correct. That it's not that Hashem gives us a supernatural reward for our 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 mitzvahs. It's that Hashem made this, the world for the sake of Torah and the sake of mitzvahs. 
and therefore a mitzvah naturally brings in a revelation of godly light, and therefore also a physical material benefit is, happens as a result of the mitzvah, because the mitzvah is the will of Hashem, so it, it just changes things, because as Hashem built the world, the world, the, extern, the external material of the world is, is, is what we see with our eyes. The spiritual energy of the world is the mitzvah, so the mitzvah naturally brings a physical um, abundance, because a mitzvah is the inner energy of the world. It's not, it's not a, a miracle, it's, it's natural. It, it, it's it's like um, when you when you have a healthy diet and you exercise, so you're you're, you're healthy. It's 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 a it's a natural result of what you're doing. So to, I mean, just like you're, if you're honest in business and you're in your daven, so it gives you a, it takes away your anxiety and you get a good reputation and people want to want want to buy your product more because of your reputation because you're honest. So it's it's natural. Similarly, the the blessings uh, that the, the 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 result that you have by keeping term mitzvahs. It's not something that's that's supernatural. It's Hashem built in the fabric of creation itself. That, that just just like a, a, a healthy regimen and health of diet and exercise brings good health, so too mitzvahs and Torah bring good health because of, of, of the, the, the inner energy of the world. So it was a chas of the Alter Rebbe. He told the Alter Rebbe that he had this little kretschma, a little this little inn, and he was always very generous to people who would stop by at the inn who couldn't afford to pay. And the, uh, but he told the Alter Rebbe he does this because it, it bothers his conscience not to be kind to people who don't have, can't afford it, but it's not really altruistic, not really true. He just does it because he doesn't want to feel bad not giving them. So he asked the Alter Rebbe if he should stop giving everyone you know, breaks because it wasn't altruistic, it wasn't true, it was just, just to satisfy his conscience. So the Alter Rebbe said, don't worry about the emes in your heart. Don't worry about the truth in your heart. Worry, worry about the emes of the chicken in the other person's stomach. Make sure the other person's stomach is true with, if the MS it's full, that's it's truly full, their stomach is, the MS full, that's, that's the MS uh, you should worry about. So, so that's the, um, it seems, one explanation of understanding the reward in this Victoria portion is that it's, it's about what would, what would attract us, what would make us interested in doing it. But there's another explanation. Another explanation is, is very, is a lot deeper and gives us an answer to the questions we asked before about being altruistic and, and, and if it's possible. Third explanation like this. The reason the Torah talks about the physical reward is because the Torah wants to tell us something. It's not just a message for the masses. It's a message for even tzaddikim. The Torah's discussion of physical reward is something which is relevant to everyone, including tzaddikim. Why is it relevant? Every person is different, right? And every person has many hats. There's mothers, and I, I have many hats. Mothers are therapists, mothers are taxi drivers, mothers clean, mothers are caterers, mothers are accountants, mothers are chefs. And so uh, you, you wear lots of hats, and you can look at different compartments in your life, and you could feel that sometimes um, the, the different things you do in your life could differ, the values could differ in different, different, different parts of your life, different systems. For example, when you're in shul, so then you feel your sustenance comes from Hashem, and you're a servant of Hashem, and you're just here to reveal Ganges in the world. That, that's one, one way of looking at life. Then you go to your office, and what's your role in your office? Your role in your office is you're trying to make as much money as possible from the deals that you make, and you can play hardball. And, and it's a whole different, and it could be like a, a conflict between these two different places in your life. Forget about places in your life, even, even days and weeks of how we feel in the morning, in the afternoon. There's all kinds of different feelings that we have and different things that we're doing. And is it possible to really put them all together? Is it possible to live an integrated life where 
your spirituality is also in your business, and your business is also in your spirituality. Is, is it possible? When they have, it seems that these these two kinds of of uh, of feelings of root values are are a contradiction with each other. So there is a um, a line in the Zohar. The, the Zohar is based upon a verse in the Torah. The Torah says about which we say every day in our davening. The Torah is called our life. What does the meaning of our life? The Torah is a life itself. What does that mean? Just came from Lagba Emer, famous story of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva defied the Romans' decree. Rabbi Akiva taught Torah in public. And a man told Rabbi Akiva, you know, you're really making a big mistake over here teaching Torah in public. You know what the Romans will do to you. The man's name was Papus. Papus Ben Yehudi. So Rabbi Akiva, you got to stop this. Rabbi Kiva told Papus the following analogy. He said, imagine a, uh, you see fish, they're running around in the river. And someone tells the fish, hey, why are you running around the river? And the fish say, because, because we're afraid to be, to be caught by the fisherman's nets. So you tell the fish, why don't you, a fox comes to the river bank, says Rabbi Kiva, and tells the fish, guys, leave the, leave the water. There's a much safer place you on dry land. There's no fishermen. There's no nets on dry land. There's a much safer place. So the fish responds to the fox, are you crazy? Here in the water, at least you have a chance to live. If we leave the water, the water's our life. We can't live anywhere else besides the water. So similar way to Bikiva said, the Torah is our life. So live, living out with the Romans, trying to stop us keeping Torah, we still have a chance. But without Torah, there's no life. Torah is life itself. What, what is Torah is life itself? Everyone's different. Everyone, everyone has different characters. Some people are introverts. They're extroverts. They're, everyone has different character. Everyone has different personality, different appearance. But what's life itself? What is life itself? Life itself, interestingly, the essence of life finds its expression in very physical things. What, what I mean is like this. We have three parts of our life. We have, our, we have three different motors. We have our mind, and scientists, you know, they have probably haven't even discovered the, the, the surface of the, of the, the, of the infinity, infinite power of the mind. Then there's the heart. The heart pumps blood to our, our whole being and animates us. And there are our feet which give us mobility. So which one's more alive? Are our feet less alive than our mind and hearts? Are, 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 are our minds more alive? Where, where's life? Is, is your, are your feet less alive? You can't say your feet are less alive. You could see more, you could see more life, perhaps, in, in your mind, in, in, your, in a person's face, in eyes. You could see a person's life, but is that where, aren't your feet alive as well? The soul is equally in every part of our body. How do you know something has touched your very life itself, something has touched your very core, if it touches your feet. In other words, let's say you're very happy. You're happy, you're so happy you smile. If you're really happy, not just you smile, you sing. If you're really happy, not just you smile and sing, you dance. In other words, uh, when a joy has touched you to your very core, your whole being is celebrating, the expression of this, something which has touched your whole being is that even your feet are dancing. If it doesn't touch your feet, it means it's not really touching your core, not really touching the essence of your life. Because the essence of your life is equal in your head and your feet and your heart. So if it touches the very core of who you are, it, it's, it's going to express itself in everything. Not just, not just in, in your, how you, your moods, not just in your thoughts. It's going to express itself in, the way, in your zippity doodah and you're walking around the street and you have more spring in your step. You're alive. Why? Because simcha joy, when it touches your very core, it touches every part of you. Similarly, when you say the Torah is our life, what that means is, the Torah doesn't just have something to do with our spiritual parts of our life. It doesn't have to just do with our davening. The meaning of Torah being our life means it touches every part of us. 
That's why it's so important to know that Torah gives us physical abundance in our life. That's why it's so relevant to know that. When you, if, just, if Torah just helped us spiritually, Torah just helped us in our davening, Torah just helped us in a relationship with Hashem or whatever, so that wouldn't indicate that Torah is our life. How do you see Torah as your life itself? Because when you keep Torah, it changes your business. It changes your health. It changes the most physical parts of your life. The fact that Torah affects the most physical parts of your life, that indicates that Torah is life itself. It was, if it was just something um, spiritual, it wouldn't touch the physical. If it, was just, if, it wasn't, if it wasn't life itself, it wouldn't touch the physical. The fact that, it, that when you keep it, as we see so many different stories with the Rebbe, that people need a blessing for health, a blessing for children. Rebbe says, add this mitzvah, check your mezuzahs. A guy just told me the following story, crazy story. A friend of mine, his, he, he was making his first steps in, in becoming uh, religious, and his mother was very, uh, very not into it. She was living in Belgium, and some crazy, they were very, very wealthy, extraordinary, like four 500 level wealthy. And the government did some kind of uh, investigation and the government froze all their assets for over a year. So my friend was my friend's mother was friends with this with this woman in Belgium who in 1989 who had lost everything overnight, everything. And it wasn't just the money, it was also the government other things that other things that to harass them and to bother them. And they had no idea where it was from. And it wasn't like there was a court case, it wasn't it was like a, there was something that they could talk there was no one to talk to. And they didn't have no idea what to do. So my friend, he had just you know started joining Lubavitch and this, and, he's, and he heard all these Rebbe stories. Like ah, I know, we'll call the Rebbe. He calls up the Rebbe's secretary, Rabbi Groner. All the Rabbi Groner asks the Rebbe for a bracha, and he, he, Rabbi Groner calls him back. He says, Rebbe says, check the mezuzahs. Okay, he tells his mom, mom, please tell them check the mezuzahs. Mother calls him up in Belgium. They don't have mezuzahs. They don't have mezuzahs. What do we do now? All right. So he calls Rebbe back. His mother says, call back the Rebbe. They don't have mezuzahs. They call back the Rebbe. So the Rebbe Groner says, uh, his name is Yisrael, Yisrael, tell me, if the Rebbe says check mezuzahs, don't you think they should get mezuzahs? Okay, so they get mezuzahs. They get mezuzahs, it was on a Thursday. They get mezuzahs on a Thursday. By Monday, the government had already sent them 500,000 franc, just just as an initial, like, um, sorry. And within a few weeks, all of their assets were released. The government apologized, it was a mistake, they didn't know, they didn't understand that. All kinds of reasons why the government said whatever happened happened, but what really happened? They're missing mezuzah. <laughs> they're missing mezuzah. They're miss, it's four, they're missing, actually, they had four, four doors. They're missing four mezuzahs. So, so, you know, the mezuzahs were cost in those days and probably, you know, $100 for four mezuzahs. And, and, and that, those, that $100 of four mezuzahs was holding back hundreds of millions of dollars. So, 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 so that's these, these kind of stories, and not just like a nice story. It tells us that Torah is our life, which makes us have a different approach to how we keep Torah in the first place. That's why even when Mashiach comes, it says, what's going to happen when Mashiach comes? We're going to have abundance in our physical lives. When Mashiach comes, we're going to see how the Torah is our life itself. And therefore, of course, be physical abundance as well. Why? Because if, if it's your life, it touches every part of you. And that's why the name of this week's Torah portion is Bechokosai. Bechokosai means to be engraved. How can you tell the Torah is engraved in part of you when it affects not just your spiritual but also your physical? And so the message the Torah is telling us in one sentence is we, that we can integrate both parts of life. We shouldn't have a schism. We shouldn't have a kara. We shouldn't have a separation between two parts of our life. Let's conclude one last story. Let you guys go. There was a Jew whose name was Herbert Weiner. He was in an audience with the Rebbe. He wrote a book called Nine and a Half Mystics. And he, gave, he made a very, very like snide remark to the Rebbe. He told the Rebbe, 
I noticed in the eyes of your followers this this um, naivete. They're very naive. They look at you with such faith. They're very naive. So ever responded, what you don't see in their eyes is a kera. A kera means a rift, a schism, a separation. They ever said, I see in your eyes that you have a hard time sleeping at night because you're trying to live in two different worlds. You, you have, you know, everyone has different departments. They ever said, what you don't see in their eyes is a kera split because in their eyes they have this wholesome belief that God creates the whole world and sustains us. And therefore, wherever we are, even when we're doing business, wherever most physical things, we can and we should and we bring our davening and our learning and our feelings of Hashem, divine providence in whatever we're doing. Lachai. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And any questions? Come.